I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I think Lebanon by itself is like a case study of how the hell is this country still on its feet? <laughs> and it has taken so much hits to the mm. chest. To, you know, to the head and <laughs> like these strikes and it's still standing tall we have lost you know a, a very big part of our economy um, as I was telling you we've seen a lot of troubles and yet for someone like me to say all of that I have this such a strong love and hate relationship of my country but I can't let go of it Hey guys, welcome to A Life in Dublin. I'm your host, Mark, recording this late on a Sunday night, trying desperately to get this conversation edited in time for your Monday commute. I had so much fun in this chat, so with your permission, we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least. Sometimes when we think of a place, we can have preconceived notions of what that place may or may not be like. Whether it's pictures of sunny beaches, war, famine, economic prosperity or horrific poverty, a perspective of a place is usually tainted by the images and narratives that are fed to us in the media. Perhaps Lebanon is victim to this phenomenon and so when I met Fuad and Samar, I jumped at the chance to chat to them so that I could learn more about their background and what it means to be Lebanese. Of course, we talk about how they ended up here in Dublin as well, but selfishly I press to know more and learn a little bit more about Lebanese culture and life. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I really appreciate you all listening. Your support for this project and the community we are building in Dublin is really heartwarming and I hope we can continue to develop this as much as possible. If you like, and only if you like, you can also help support us by donating the price of a pint on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Dublin. And now, here's my conversation with Fuad and Samar. Was it your first time in Malahide today? Uh, yeah, it was. It was the first time in Malahide. Um, it's been pretty, I mean, we're still fresh um, in Ireland overall, just five months in. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Malahide's a lovely spot. Um, really nice. I like it. Um 
you you went for lunch can you tell me where you went for lunch because yeah there's a few nice places there um, so there was this long street like a bar slash restaurant street i'm not sure yeah what it's called uh, we went to an italian um restaurant mm-hmm. called al fresco al fresco yeah. um I can't remember if I've been there or not. If I have, it was years ago. Um, last time I was in Malhaid, I ate in a Thai place, which I think is kind of the yeah. go, go. It's yeah, which is nice. I think it's called Siam Thai or something yeah. like that. Um, but I would like to check out the Italian place. Yep. Um, and there's there's another Italian restaurant. I don't know if you uh, know Smithfield at all. Yeah. Um, called Grano, which I've never been to, okay. but about. Half of our guests on this podcast have recommended it, but I think it's the type of place where you need to book, you know, almost a month in advance. I'm I'm not sure if it has a Michelin star, or is in contention for a Michelin star or something like that. But beside it, they have a owned by the same people, Affianco, which is like a wine bar, okay. and uh, I guess it's not tapas, whatever the Italian equivalent of tapas is. Yeah. Um, and that's supposed to be really good as well. So I recommend if you're into Italian food, okay. checking out those What's places. It again? So you have Grano, Grano, which is the um, high level restaurant, and then Affianco, uh-huh. which I, as far as I'm aware, I don't think you can book Affianco. It's just you go, right. yeah. maybe you do a little queue, and if you're lucky, you can get in. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's good. Some good Italian spots. Right. Yeah. It. Yeah. We've mm-hmm. been through some. Uh, to um, some Italian restaurants, pretty nice. Um, I think what usually attracts people is the wood-fired oven. I mean, the pizza. Pizza, yeah, pizza oven. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's always kind of uh, tasty to most people. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, this was your first Patrick's Day in in Ireland. Yep. Um, I got the hell out of Dublin for it. I've done it too many times. Um, and I just, well, I'm curious to know what you guys ended up doing. Um, so the famous parade, I think we, we reached that pretty late at yeah. some, I mean, probably was 2 PM or something, one thirty. Um, and it yeah. was, it was nice, but I think it's, it's, it's mainly targeted towards like young, um, like children at some yeah. point because there's a lot of, you know, inflatable stuff going on, uh, like, you know, music that attracts yeah. little uh, children. Yeah. But it's also so nice that it's so diverse at the same time. Like, we were asking each uh, each other, like, what's the theme here? It's not all green. It's not, like, very national. Mm. It's we, we, we were expecting it to be more of, like, you know, the green St. Patrick's theme. But I think it was also nice to see that there was a lot of themes going on. Like, yeah. I don't know, like the biking, the, the bicycle community, or I don't know which sub ethnic group or some people like. So it was like diverse to see. Yeah, I was at it last year. I went to it last year because after COVID, it was like, you know, the first time in a while that people, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to. And I'd been away for years before that. So I was like, I haven't been to the parade in years. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think the first thing you got to know about it is it's not. It's not carnival, you know, it's yeah. it's kind of, it's not serious either, but I remember standing there, excuse me, and the first few bands that walked through are like the, the Garda marching band, and then there's the military marching band, and you know, they're not 
kind of smiling, jumping around, yeah. playing. They're playing kind of serious yeah. songs and they're marching and you're like, oh, okay. Um, but then towards the back of the parade, yeah, as you say, you get like this random stuff. It's um, completely random. <laughs> yeah. like, what's going on here? What's the crack, right? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Uh, so that's kind of weird and enjoyable. But yeah, parade, as you said, um, it, I guess it's aimed towards um, the younger younger demographics. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think so too. Especially that at some point, I think the the Garda, is it? Yeah. yeah they, they, they were <clears throat> um, banning people uh, who were having alcohol to go in. Yeah, I think it was, you know, a safe place for um, families to be in. Well, you see, when I was younger, um, and maybe I was half part of the problem, but now I wasn't that bad. But I remember going into town when I was like 15, 16, and like it was mayhem. Oh, crazy. Just people hammered. When I say people, teenagers hammered everywhere getting sick on the street so I think they've become a lot more strict it's the only day I think where you can't buy alcohol until 4 o'clock yeah Um, so it is obviously trying to risk no it's not exactly a genius move and I know you can go to the shop the day before but I guess it's to stop people maybe going back and getting more really early and trying not to be plastered this is oh yeah nice expression plastered plastered Yeah. We actually <laughs> came to know the meaning of the word plaster just today from in, uh, in Malahide Castle. Ah, okay. You can, uh, I mean, from an architect no, point so, of view, it uh, makes more sense. So actually, the, the guide was uh, Irish, and he was telling us uh, <laughs> from where this expression uh, came from. So uh, they had to do like uh, all in uh, 1706, yeah. something like that in uh, the castles they used to plaster the whole ceiling so uh, later on they started bringing uh, like a lot of alcohol and start play uh, painting the plaster okay okay with alcohol and with alcohol with alcohol yes for them uh, to paint the plaster it will uh, take away the mold the mold yeah. and any uh, if you have any insects insects you know, etc okay so for them it's like when you when you like for the ba- bacteria bacteria or whatever, mm. uh, bacteria, yeah. bacteria if you want to like wash your hands you'll wash it with uh, alcohol now for covid let's say or mm. with these things so for them they used to do that and this is why the expression came like uh, when you drink a lot of alcohol you're plastered like the plaster no way i didn't have no idea yeah. <laughs> it was quite uh, eye opening <laughs> yeah Our guide definitely didn't tell us that. Um, <laughs> that's good to know. Um, I love uh, the origin of all of these random phrases sometimes. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard, th- there's an expression in in English, and anybody who's Irish, I guess, might know the, and is listening to this, might know the background of this expression. But it's an expression to say to someone's away with the fairies. Okay. Um, and, you know, in like oh, hundreds, maybe even thousands of years ago or whatever, um, in Ireland, before education, before science, before all of these things, before even like the Christianity arrived in Ireland, um, people believed that if something, maybe I have a stroke or something bad happens to me or maybe I'm born with a disability, unfortunately, you know, people believed or attributed that, maybe to not bad luck, but that the real person or the healthy person had been taken Um, by the fairies 
and that a replacement was put in their place. Okay. So it was actually very damaging because that person wouldn't be treated well because they thought it wasn't a real person. Right. Um, but if someone was a bit crazy or a bit mad, they'd say, oh, that person's away with the fairies. Okay. So you might hear that expression still to this day when right. someone is a bit like a bit cuckoo or whatever you might hear someone say oh that they're a bit away with the fairies oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's random right it's always random to know these you know yeah. phrases I mean just today the same guy told us where the origin of the phrase saved by the bell okay no I, mean, I actually don't know so about it was, that it was an <laughs> in the same uh, era maybe in the 17th century or something so when people <clears throat> used to pass away <laughs> the other living people were not sure that this person, you know, uh, if, if that person is actually dead or not. So when they used to bury them, they used to leave um, a string tied to their um, finger mm-hmm. up, you know, above okay. the ground. Mm-hmm. So when at some point, if this person moves, he'd be saved by the bell because he would ring the bell without him knowing. <laughs> and then people would know, hey, this person is still alive. <laughs> Get him out. So it's, you know, it's like... This person was saved by the bell. Wow. So, jeez. Yeah. Random. Freaky. Uh, I wonder if that ever actually happened. Because you imagine the trauma that you would I be going asked through. Him, you know what? I asked him, this, did it actually happen? He was like, it must have happened a couple of times. Otherwise, there wouldn't be such a, um, such a phrase for it. Mm. Mm. I wouldn't want to be that person. But I mean, no, not ideal. Um. <laughs> You got. You said to me before we were recording that you guys came five months ago. Yeah. Um, and it's great that, I mean, we met, um, just so people listening understand how we met. So Monica, who's, you know, my partner, she runs Agite, which is a kind of vintage clothing thing. Um, I think you guys were just passing by and you popped into a pop-up shop that she was doing and we met there. And I was like, okay, people from Lebanon, I have never had a conversation ever Okay. I don't think, apart from maybe being in a Lebanese restaurant at some point in Spain where there's there's oh, quite a few, yeah. uh, but, you know, obviously it wasn't a proper conversation. So uh, I jumped at the opportunity anyway to, to chat to you guys. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit, of, I guess it's a different story or it's a story that I don't know. So when I'm talking to maybe people from Brazil or Spain or Italy, I kind of have an inkling as to their background and their culture and I don't really know too much about Lebanese culture about the background of of things in in your country and and that so I'd love to learn a little bit more about that from you as opposed to reading yeah I've I've grown old and I feel like uh, (laughs) I don't have time for reading anymore I prefer to have a chat about it um yeah uh so I mean first of all thanks for just reaching out so randomly yeah, <laughs> it's actually very, very friendly yet un- unusual to like you know yeah. to, for someone to invite you to have a chat on a podcast three minutes in, yeah. which is very friendly of you and very nice and smooth. So, so thanks for that. And yeah. Ajite was not uh, we didn't bump into Ajite. I ah. did my research on Instagram oh, yeah. and I saw Brilliant. the pop up. Yeah, there you go. So we yeah. went specifically for targeting. The well targeting done, Monica. Well done, Monica. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, maybe a bit of background about Lebanon um, in general. I'm not, I'm not a historian, and I think the history of Lebanon is quite biased from a lot of points of view. Specifically that we've had a lot of um, struggles in the 20th century 
up until this period. So I think it's been a couple of hundred years of struggle. Um, so you might hear a lot of points of view that might oppose what I'm saying. So I'm I'm not, you know, saying that this is exactly what happened. But from all of the collective things that I've read, I've learned, I've discussed with a lot of people, I think all of us can agree that this country has had a lot of troubles mm. in the past, let's say, a couple of hundred years, at least, you know, two, three hundred years up until this day. And I think it's been getting tougher and tougher for the Lebanese people ever since. But um, essentially, so so for anyone who doesn't know, Lebanon is a country that uh, that's in the Middle East, but it's actually on the most western side of the Middle East. So it's on the Mediterranean Sea. Mm hmm. Where um, it's called the Levant area. Levant is the area that that en encompasses parts of Jordan, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria. And I think that's it. Mm -hmm. This specific area, I think, is quite uh, significantly different than the other parts of the Middle East, where the Gulf areas are. Um, they call it the Gulf countries, mm -hmm. the Gulf Council cooperation. Lebanon, in particular. Um, so it's actually a very small country, right? It's like one seventh the size of Ireland. Wow. And it has the same number of people inside. So it's around five million uh, people living wow. inside. Lebanese people living inside. So quite densely populated then. Um, I would say so. I mean, well, it's actually Ireland that's very, uh, let's say, it's not so populated yeah. as much. But yes, I mean, I can say that also Lebanon is a country where, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit on the uh, dense side of uh, population. Mm. Um, because of its small size and relatively high uh, density of people, I'd say, um, it's quite okay. diverse. Mm. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite chaotic and diverse at the same time. And when, it, and when I say diverse, there was a lot of, let's say, um, international political interference i would say in lebanon and a lot of um, struggle from within mm -hmm. the first or let's say the most um recent quote-unquote part of lebanon's history was when they were ruled under the ottoman empire yeah. which is what is now turkey mm -hmm. we inherited a lot of um tr culture tradition food clothing food you know all of that from the ottomans and when world war one ended there was a French mandate, so basically the the French um, took the initiative of you know coming to Lebanon and helping the Lebanese people. Actually, helping establish what was now Lebanon. The country was officially um, founded in 1920. It's called the the Greater Lebanon. Um, so, so in 1920, it was founded um, with the aid of the French. With the aid of French, exactly because. Before that, it was called a mutasarifiyat. So basically, a mutasarifiyat is basically like like a county in Ireland. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I can't find the the closest uh, analogy to that, but it was like a a partially autonomous region in the Ottoman Empire, and it was called Mount Lebanon, which is basically what constitutes around th maybe twenty or twenty five percent of what Lebanon is now. It's called Mount Lebanon. And, and this Mount Lebanon, which is now a, a district in Lebanon, mm. one of, I don't, know, I don't know, five, six districts. Uh, I'm not the best with <laughs> geography, 
But anyway, Mount Lebanon, which is now one of the its, uh, district, was the smaller Lebanon before 1920. Mm-hmm. And now the greater part of Lebanon, which is basically from Syria to the north and east. And then there's, you know, Palestine, Israel from the south. And then there's the Mediterranean Sea from the from the west. Mm-hmm. Um, because Lebanon lies in a very, let's say, um, interesting part of the world, it was torn up between the east and the, and the west. Mm-hmm. And ever since the French uh, came into mandate in 1920, it was kind of, it still had more of like a western imprint to it. We speak Arabic. Mm-hmm. Our first language is, is Arabic. But it, what's, what's quite distinctive is the Lebanese dialect that's actually very much infused with the French uh, language, I would, wow. I would say. So I can say that a can good I, third of our uh, dialect is French. Can I ask if, like, maybe you're going to come to this point, but was there an agenda from from the French that, you know, it sounds great, and they came to the, the aid of the Lebanese people and everything. Um, was it purely out of the the goodness of their heart or was there some kind of political agenda or perhaps territorial agenda that they they were trying to I don't mean to be accusing the French yeah, or anything no, like that were but colonized by the French Well it was not actually uh, called a colony it was called a French mandate now I don't want to get too much yeah, into French the mandate. politics because I really don't know much about politics in general I'm just uh, covering the historical part mm. of it but I can say, I mean as trivial as it as it sounds, I think it was always into the benefit of a lot of people. I mean, uh, the so let's say the Christian um, uh, part of Lebanon liked the idea that that the French were coming to help because the French were you know from the Christian background, and the non-Christian, which are the you know ma- mainly Muslims in Lebanon, didn't really like it because you know we were actually separated from a religious point of view. So I think it benefited, quote unquote, the part of Lebanon that supported the French coming in, which were basically from the Christian background. I'm not sure what the French wanted. Mm. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. But what I can say is that, you know, even with that move that was supposed to be, you know, we are going to help you achieve infrastructure, we are going to help you achieve a constitution. And funny enough, 80, I think 90% of what's, uh, now the Lebanese constitution is basically built on the French constitution. Okay. So you can actually see a lot of similarities in infrastructure and in, and how we do uh, the you know the the legal aspect of you know the law, mm. how we practice law. It's actually very much um, inspired by the French constitution. Mm. This is the his- historical side of it. Uh, the socio uh, the social part of it. Uh, going back to the fact that Lebanon has had a lot of interference, I, I, I would say, you know, and, and a lot of struggles internally that were mainly based on religion. You know, mm. it was always based on what we call now sectarianism, which mm. is basically even a, a layer deeper into the religion. So we mm. have a lot of sects, mm. meaning let's say we have the Christian religion. You have the Catholics, you have the Protestants, you have the Greek Orthodox, blah, blah, blah. And then with the Muslims, you have the Shias, you have the Sunnis, you Mm. have a lot of, you know, uh, sects here and there. Funny, but sad enough, um, this sectarianism is really what what divided Lebanon uh, when the civil war came, which was in 1975. 
So the French came in 1920. They helped build, you know, the greater part of Lebanon, which is basically what this country is now, ge- geographically speaking. Mm-hmm. It was M- Mount Lebanon, right? Mm-hmm. So now Mount Lebanon is one one of again. I'm, I'm not sure if it's five districts of the greater part of Lebanon. Mm-hmm. So we actually took our independence, and again, quote unquote, independence in 1943. And since then, Lebanon saw quite a rapid growth economically you know uh, in terms of society in terms of a lot of aspects mm-hmm. it, it it actually saw a very brief period of growth and prosperity mm. I would say up right. until 1975 where everything was reset minus 500 years back and now it's been going down ever since we mm-hmm. had very um, let's say deep civil war yeah, that started in 1975, and it lasted until 1991 or 1990, you know, 15, 16 years, and this is where basically, when sectarianism was very much rooted, it was very much, um, it, it it took a very s- strong stance in dividing the Lebanese yeah. people, and from there on, you know, it was it was pretty. Um, impactful in a negative sense I would say on the mm. Lebanese people from from a political standpoint and from a, also a social standpoint you know this is a bit about history yeah I mean I I can imagine um, like obviously it sounds e- even more complicated than something that happened here you know it was just basic silly kind of Catholic Protestant stuff here English Irish English Irish stuff but um with even more religions, with even more kind of like geographically, it's it's located in such oh, that whole kind of line, right? Really, that p- point of wet or Eastern Europe and Western Asia, yeah. it's such a I get I guess a hotbed for conflict. And as you mentioned, being part of that Levante region. Mm-hmm. And the claims that people in certain religions have to oh, yeah. different lands, etc., um, I imagine adds to it. And unfortunately, I imagine also, as you said, the, that w- in times of conflict and as the longer conflict goes on, the more people are lost, the more hatred is built, the more emotion is, is involved in the situation. So I can imagine it's not an easy um situation what was it like I guess just for you growing up what was your um give me an idea of of the day in the life maybe it was very normal I don't know I guess for you it was whatever it was was normal but explain it to me um just out of interest yeah um so uh, I think ever since the war began there was a huge um outflux of Lebanese people outside of Lebanon, which is mm. what we call now the Lebanese diaspora. There is no official stats to it, but I think um, some people agree that it's close to like 25 million people. Wow. Lebanese people wow. outside of Lebanon. And there's like 5 million inside, which is actually very crazy Crazy to know. I mean, I think it's it's also similar to Irish. So Most of them are in the prison. Yeah. The, <laughs> there's actually, <laughs> funny enough, yeah. <laughs> a lot of them are in uh, Latin America. Yeah. Uh, specifically in wow. Brazil, probably. Yeah, it's, 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 I think there's something, there's a, sti- a statistic like that for Irish people as well, that I think in the world there's something like 80 million yeah. Irish passports, um, which is nuts. Yeah, 
But exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we I think we, we share a lot of, uh, let's say, similar struggles. Mm. <laughs> I would say uh, we, we went to the epic uh, Irish Immigration Museum when mm. we first came here. It's a cool museum. It was like a stroll down memory lane of what happened. You know, it was a bit similar to what happened, you know, with the history of Lebanon, with the war and with the struggles, yeah. troubles. They yeah. make you hold a passport yeah. for each, uh, each station so you can feel that what happened with the famine and people left their countries yeah. because of what happened. So we felt we related to this history, actually, because yeah. we we're always having our passport and ready to leave. Mm. Like uh, it's always in the back of our minds, like we're not going to stay here. Mm. We're, we have the, our passport ready just to leave because there's always a conflict. There's always problems uh, yeah. in Lebanon. So. So this is how we related uh, when we went to the Epic Museum, actually. Mm. So we were there and uh, yeah. showing our passport on this shape. Mm. We were ready. Going back to, to your point, um, the life of the, the Lebanese. So it was, it was actually very much different to, to who, who actually left, left Lebanon and lived outside of Lebanon, but was coming back pretty frequently because of this you know, love-hate relationship that, that they still had with Lebanon. So there was this life, and I think she will she, she can speak more of that because she was raised outside of Lebanon. And I think a life in the shoes of a Lebanese, um, you know, child slash teenager growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, pretty much post-Civil War, was quite um, significantly embedded with a lot of changes. So... We had the Lebanese lira, which is our currency, lose mm-hmm. a significant part of its value, and it was. And in nineteen ninety one, when the war ended, um, they pegged. This is like a financial term that they actually fixed the value of the Lebanese lira to the dollar, okay, being one thousand five hundred. Was like actually fifteen oh seven point five Lebanese lira, so close fifteen hundred liras. To one dollar, mm-hmm. and I think uh, our parents saw this huge shift. But us, you know, we, we we were raised of you know this is the normal. That's what we know. And growing up, at least the part from where I come, which can be a bit different from where other parts of Lebanese people come from, I would say that a day in my life was, you know, a bit similar to what. You can see in a lot of parts of, let's say, Southern Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite open. The country was liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of constraints, which also means that there was a good, decent amount of chaos, I would say. Okay. So you can actually very much, very easily find loopholes to the law. Mm. So I think we were raised in a society that was actually growing post-civil war mm-hmm. trying to be you know uh, the best version of us trying you know to be exposed to what's out there trying to learn and trying to actually be <laughs> decent human beings in a chaotic world can i ask were you um at this point in your life were you mixing with other um Let's say, as you said, or mentioned earlier on, sects of 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 Lebanon, mm. Lebanon, or was it within one community that there was this liberalism? Yeah, good um, question. Um, so, to an extent, I think we were in like a closed 
community we obviously had a lot of friends and you know some relatives and extended family members from other religions and, and, uh, and other yeah. sects but I would say like most of our times we were like with people from this specific let's just put it background let's just label it yeah. background because of course. our p- parents had lived a very tough time mm. forcefully learning to hate each other based on their backgrounds you know what I mean so a person who was let's say from a Christian background was unfortunately forcefully taught to dislike the other person, let's yeah. say a person from the Muslim background. Yeah. Having said that, it was actually still decently mixed. You know what I mean? So to a very successful plan to divide people, people w- were still to a, to a point pretty much mixed, mm-hmm. you know, still sharing um stories sharing lives you know sharing a lot of experiences mm-hmm. so it's quite really hard to tell uh hard hard to answer if it was this way or the other but it was like a mix of the two but everyone was still cautious of like you know these guys killed us mm. and the other people would say these guys also you know raided our homes back in back in the 70s and back back in the 80s so watch out from them mm-hmm. so it was you know a bit um a bit of hatred infused yeah. over there and a lack of trust I guess it's yeah. even maybe even before hatred it was just that yeah. you can't fully you know you've got that story behind the narrative behind the person maybe you don't even know the person but there's Absolutely. a narrative yeah. and it's totally normal um, and it happens it's human nature um, when you were in school right and you were like thinking about your future did you consider, like, was it in your mind that, like, 100%, I have to get out of here if I want to have a future that I want? Or was it, let's see what happens, hopefully everything will be fine, I'd love to stay here? Yeah. Um, uh, we were very much hopeful that things would get better. Mm. And I think we were under the illusion of things being, things meaning, let's say, mainly it was like an economic turbulence ever since. So... You know, after the civil war, it was quite, let's say, steady and safe. There was some bombings here and there, a bit of assassinations, but that was like nothing compared to what happened in the in the civil war. But I think the main change was like the this economic factor. So economically, Lebanon was changing a lot. Um, for a person growing up thinking about their future, um, we were like again hopeful that things are going to get better or maybe, you know, stay as they are. But unfortunately, I think economically things were gradually going down. Mm. Um, so a lot of people, including myself and a lot of my entourage, mm. I would say, were very, very much keen on, on leaving Lebanon mm. to start a life uh, mm. and uh, basically a career, mm. you know, to to um, uh, to have a decent, to, to make a decent living. Now, this was all of that was way before what happened in 2019. So, for anyone who doesn't know, in October 2019, we had um, one of the worst economic crises in modern history. Fast forward a couple of years until now, March 2023, our currency has lost 97% of its value. Wow. This was after it was pegged in 1991 to mm-hmm. 1,500. 
lewars versus one U.S. dollar. And a series of just unfortunate events, I would say, or, or, or actually a series of uh, unfortunate consequences of um, the mismanagement of our government post-Civil War mm-hmm. were actually blown out in October 2019. So whoever left before t- 2019, me being one of them, multiply that by probably, I don't know, 20, 30 times. This this is the number of people li- leaving Lebanon now because of the current economic si- situation. So, you know, uh, there was a collapse of the banking system and then COVID hit in March 2020. And obviously, as everyone knows, in, in August the 4th, 2020, there was a major explosion of the Beirut um, oh. port. Mm. Um, and people say that this is like the second or the biggest non-nuclear um, I remember that incident jeez yeah I remember that now yeah, I just remember seeing the videos of that my god yeah yeah, yeah so like put, uh, put all of these three factors after everything that I was talking about in the past couple of minutes you know it's like a no-brainer for any Lebanese person who's like career oriented wants to have a change in the, in their lives, you know, start a fresh life. All, all all of these people would be keen on like you know starting a life outside of Lebanon, mm. which is what I'm doing now, what most of us are doing of outside of Lebanon. So mm. I think it's a you know the light at the end of the tunnel is that I think after all of these struggles ever since the Ottoman. Empire to the French to the Civil War to what's happening, you know, post Civil War and e- and even now, I think it's safe to say that I might be biased, but I mean, it's also s- safe to say that the Lebanese were actually always pivoting to be these resilient people who actually want to make something out of themselves, mm-hmm. out of out of you know, yeah, out of uh, themselves. So, um, I think me and a lot of people and my entourage are part of these people who are actually refusing to, you know, um, abiding by this new normal um, and actually living in a country where it has a lot of rich culture, good food, nice history, you know, a lot of exposure, a melting pot of all of these civilizations. And even if you date back to thousands of years, like you were saying, it's actually a, a very, very prominent part of the world where a lot of even the uh, religions were born from. Mm. So, you know, this hundreds and even thousands of years of culture and, and history, I think, shapes um, what's now called a Lebanese individual who is actually <laughs> refusing to go down with all of what's been happening and actually starting fresh outside of Lebanon mm. um, what a like <laughs> crazy story like that first of all thank you I feel like I've given you a responsibility of like uh, telling me the, the history of Lebanon and that can be a bit of a, of a weight um, I imagine so no, you did a great job and I and totally followed you the whole way so well thanks done thanks for asking I yeah. mean, it's the first time that I even have this uh, order in, in my head like you know saying these well facts. it's interesting um, and Let's talk about some of the, um, I guess, the cultural aspects, the amazing, po- as you said, f- 
positive cultural aspects of of Lebanon and um I guess you've 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 told me the the difficult part now mm-hmm. right yeah. so for anybody who's listening I, I imagine you can go deep into I don't know online somewhere into more information that you can find about that but I actually don't want to put so much weight on you to describe that I want to go a little bit more into your story as well um and before we get into other cultural aspects of of the Lebanon um when you were when you had decided like okay I'm we're leaving right um I imagine you maybe had an idea in your mind of you know I'll do some work somewhere and maybe we'll go for margaritas on the beach afterwards and we the world is our oyster we can go anywhere um you know how did you end up here or where you went did you end up somewhere else before here why ireland um you know just to go a bit of um a couple of steps before yeah. ireland uh, i left lebanon in 2017 mhm i went to work in a country in the in the other part of the middle east the east, the eastern part a country called oman mhm it's a country for anybody who doesn't know its capital is muscat and it's basically on the western uh, sorry on the southern side of the emirates yeah. dubai on the eastern side of the sort of saudi arabia yemen all of that part of the world um i lived there for just over 5 years mm-hmm. my i think it was not just my main goal my my only goal was basically you know to explore what's outside of Lebanon. It was the first time that I actually live in a place where it's not my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I stress on the comfort zone part, <laughs> although it was not that comfortable due to, due to the facts that I just stated earlier, mm. it was not the most comfortable part, um, you know, place to grow up, but it was still beautiful and comfortable for someone. It's still your home. It, yeah, just basically home. Um, I left to Oman, worked, um, had a very nice life. Uh, that's where I met Samar. Um, in Oman, Just sitting and smiling here beside you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Um, so yeah, it was mainly uh, just to follow my career. And the most interesting part was the fact that, you know, even Oman was a Middle Eastern country just like Lebanon it was so different than Lebanon on so many aspects mm. that I can't you know count mm. food history culture lifestyle mindset weather you nightlife. know nightlife like i mean i can speak a lot about the nicer parts of Lebanon but like you know um i was a bit maybe pessimistic of saying you know mentioning a lot of uh painful stuff about Lebanon but we actually have very nice um you know nightlife the food that everyone knows about the best uh, yeah mm-hmm. it's actually very You're selling it to me now <laughs> yeah um so yeah i mean for someone who was who was raised in uh, in a more of like a western uh, part of the middle east going even further east was pretty much restricting i can say yeah and more way more conservative mm-hmm. so adapting to this new life at the age of like you know in your early or mid 20s can be a bit of a challenge because you know you've been programmed to think and live uh you know as in a specific lifestyle for the past 25 years and then all of a sudden 
hey, that's a new normal. Accommodate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was it was pretty uh, challenging when it comes to adapting, coping with the new lifestyle, the new again weather. Well, like when you say, I am, was there like curfews? Was bars closed at specific times or? <laughs> There was not. Uh, there was no bars. Yeah. Okay. Let yeah. me put it in a way I that I might be asking some really stupid questions. Yeah. No, 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 no. At, at <laughs> all, actually, what I'm trying to think about is like give a, a, a very fair image of that change. Uh, let's just very quickly go back to Lebanon. Lebanon is a is a country, even with what has happened during the war and and after, um, it was quite liberal. We have great food, we, and unbiasedly saying, reading a lot of foreign articles, have one of the best nightlife scenes in the world. Wow. So I think we are a population who actually love to embrace life, to yeah. party, you know, just to, 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 to really celebrate life. I think and the, the living of life. Yeah. yeah. And I think this this also is, is a result of all of the struggles that happen to the Lebanese mm. people in their short medium even to long um, history so we were used to actually um, being very much outspoken about life mm. we, were, we, 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 we love to live we love to party we love to uh, be exposed to cultures uh, there was a lot of foreign um, foreigners um, that came and lived in Lebanon just to basically work with all of these NGOs to help refugees. So what I'm trying to say is that it was very much diverse. It was liberal. It was exposed and it was open. Now, moving to the eastern eastern part of the world, it can be quite, as I was saying, um, restrictive and, you know, conservative. Mm. Meaning um, something as simple as a pub, as a bar, does not exist in that part of the world mm. unless... It's in a five-star hotel, and this hotel has a major nice. license from the government to sell alcohol, blah, blah, blah. So if you take a second and think of, you know, what can you do on a Wednesday uh, evening or, like, you know, late afternoon at 5, 6 p.m. after you're, after you finish work, there's no culture of, like, you know, having happy hour or, like, you know, drinks before going back home. It was, it was more of, like... Um, routine life you know it was more focused into career mm-hmm. uh, maybe self-development a lot a lot mm. of um, time for people to actually you know, maybe spend time with themselves to actually explore their interests maybe develop their mental habits or whatever so yeah it was it was pretty much um different mm. i would say for someone from my background to move there yeah and obviously it was also time to move again uh, in october 2022 to Ireland, also a move purely driven by career okay. intention. So uh, yeah, I, I I got a job with Google, uh-huh. and you know I to me it was just the time to turn the page, explore something new, get out there, shock yourself, see what you're made of, you know, mm. and try something new again. Reset weather, <laughs> lifestyle, food, yeah, so. The whole roller coaster, but like five years later. Yeah, um, y- you grew up speaking Arabic, I assume. Yeah. Um, 
And then when you moved to Oman, were you working in 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 Arabic also? Um, so just a bit of uh, context. Our main uh, language in Lebanon is the Arabic, but the Lebanese dialect is quite distinctive from all of the other Arabic uh, language, Arabic speaking countries because of you know, okay. it's influenced by the uh, by, by the French. Our second language is French. Uh-huh. Because of, again, what I just mentioned earlier, because of the history. And obviously everyone, mostly everyone, speaks English just like the other parts of the world. So, an average Lebanese can speak three languages. Wow. Now, moving to Oman, work was in English. I mean, work in, yeah. in general. The professional aspect of life was mainly in English. But I think the majority of the population also spoke Arabic. But their Arabic was way different than yeah yeah i guess it's like speaking to someone from cork uh, oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i know i say that i say that with love and my best friends are from there but um yeah like it's it's funny isn't it like i that transition that you had from lebanon to to oman i can imagine it i've never been to either of these places but um having spoken to other people who have been who have traveled to maybe the Emirates and different countries within there and, and their experiences there. I also have been in Dubai very briefly, but um, again, comparing one country to another, I can't do that because I haven't, I haven't been there. Um, but I imagine, well, I can't, I can't actually imagine a Lebanese guy, you know, just arriving in Dublin and, and that, kind of shock to the system that there must have been um how have you found it since you've arrived here so what was really interesting to me is actually how much the body and the mind adapt to a shock so mm, even yeah. going one step back to oman uh, the weather is significantly hotter and way more um you know uh, fierce than the uh, hot weather in lebanon yeah. So I had to basically <laughs> accustom how, you know, my body reacts to heat. Yeah. My skin color changed, you know, drastically. Wow. Uh, my mood changed because I am someone and I didn't know it. I love the sun. I love the beach, whatever. Now, moving to Ireland, I think it's the ex- the 180 degree equivalent <laughs> of where yeah. I, I used to live. Right. Oh, so brilliant. I think it's, you know, sunny one day a year. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Quite Listen, schizophrenic uh, weather. It is, yeah. And right now, is for me, it's one of the most difficult points. I was chatting to uh, Monica, actually, about this. Um, and her, I, Listen, it's my country. I've grown up with this. I guess you learn to accept it. But that doesn't mean that you enjoy it either. Um, but maybe you it's less a, of a conversation in your mind because that you're like, this, this is just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but these days, I always find the most difficult around this time of year. It's always around Paddy's Day. It's very changeable. Mm-hmm. And in your mind, you're kind of like, winter's over. Yeah, flowers are coming oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. But then it, wait. It's, like, it's like the weather, excuse my language, it's kind of like it's fucking with you a little bit. You're like, oh, no, it, you know, not yet. Um, think you're going to wear a jumper today? No. We might trick you a little bit in the morning. You might, oh, what a beautiful day. And then at 12 o'clock, it's absolutely (laughs) pissing rain (laughs) and cold. Um, And for me, 
at this time of year is one of the most difficult because you're kind of like, is this not yeah. over yet? Um, uh, but it will change. The weather here is, is never very good, but we do have usually a few weeks in the summertime. Um, so my recommendation would be to make the most of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't wait, I think, to, to, for the sun to actually come back. Because I, I also think and believe that <laughs> this really takes a toll on, on, on someone's mood. I mean, I think I'm someone yeah. who, who gets really, you know, happy or sad from the change in weather. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you have a day, you know, that, that's pretty sunny, a lot of light. I think this, this also has a lot of um, impact, impact on, on someone's mood. Yeah. And you'll notice now... I mean, so you came in October, you said, yeah, yeah. right? So you really came at like the worst possible time. Yeah. It's like straight into the winter time, and all I'll say is we're coming out of it now. Okay, um, thank you. <laughs> the, the dark for me, the the most difficult thing is the darkness, yeah. and that will change dramatically now. It'll be the polar opposite. We'll hardly have any darkness at all during during winter time. So it'll be bright up until about half past ten, and it'll be bright again at four o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning even. Um, so I think you'll notice that it was actually, I remember speaking to my auntie about this and, you know, it's just, I guess we are living in a very globalized world now and we live at a, at a globalized, um, rhythm. So ironically in winter, it's a very busy time for work for, you know, there's Christmas, you're buying presents, you're seeing a family, you're going out, um, and then, you know, the new year starts and you have to get going again. And it's quite a high speed of life. But speaking to my auntie and she had it like she worked as a nurse, but came from an agricultural background okay. and much more, let's say, connected with nature and an understanding of nature than, than me as a city boy from Dublin who doesn't understand where his food comes from or anything <laughs> like that. Um, and she would say to me, is like, you know, winter's, uh, you know, a great time for just rest you know because that was the idea for her in her head it was winter is a time of rest okay and wow. summer is a time where you you live and experience everything and that's why in, in ireland you'll have you'll have festivals every weekend during the summer in different villages and you know music festivals and stuff like that um and i think irish people we don't really know it anymore because we're supposed to be living in this world where it's just the same space speed of life all of the time but in Ireland like is really when it's a good opportunity to like live to as much as you possibly can and then I guess technically what you're supposed to do is then rest for winter but that doesn't happen anymore either so no rest for the wicked or anything like that but um, I think maybe going back hundreds of years I imagine that what what was like life was much more like that in in Ireland where we less happening during the winter yeah it's, I think it's also quite interesting to see the perspective you know you, you just mentioned your aunt saying winter is nice <laughs> because they use winter to rest mm. I think almost everyone from our generation can agree, can agree that winter is not nice you know mm. so it's, it's, it's very interesting to see these different points of view of how you would like to perceive a specific topic or maybe, you know, a phase uh, in your life or even in, in 
in like a calendar year. Mm. Um, but she she referenced uh, winter as you know it's a time of 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 death, and it was like, isn't it beautiful how things die and then come back again oh. in spring? You know, and she okay. said she actually would say this like it's kind of the circle of life, right? Yeah. Uh, and a reminder of that. Um, okay. Whereas for me, winter is a massive inconvenience. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, it's an inconvenience. It slows me down. Right. Uh, I think I would I would rather answer your uh, aunt saying winter is a beautiful reminder but you know i i just want to look at it as a reminder <laughs> i don't yeah. want to live in this reminder, <laughs> you know? yeah listen um i will say that in this country the weather is is tricky um i have spoken to people who have lived here one of my best friends is um French, I'm sure he won't mind me referencing his mother. I'm sure she'd be happy to uh, say this as well, but her mo- his mother is, is French, lived here since I don't know when. And she, she's like, I just hate it. I just hate the weather. And she's never adapted to it, you know. She couldn't. Uh, she couldn't. She's like, I'll never get used to it. Um, yeah. And I, I don't want to speak for too many other people, but I know that it's a, it's a tricky one especially if you come from a country where oh yeah it makes all the difference i think it really does because in your head you're comparing aren't you yeah. you're going well this time of year i'd be you know sitting out having a nice glass of wine in the sun or whatever it might be i don't know yeah exactly hmm. we were always sitting uh, in the sun maybe for the past five years wow <laughs> yeah i mean oman as I was saying, is actually on the exact opposite of, 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 of Ireland when it comes to weather. So I think over there, it's sunny 364 days yes, of the year. Yes, you don't have the four seasons. And it so. might like, you know, rain once a year. And I think it's the exact opposite <laughs> in Ireland. And it's like maybe it's sunny one day and then it's like raining 364 days. Yeah. Um, we would be so happy to see a cloud. Like a small cloud. Wow. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit of a respite from, from the heat. Yep. <laughs> Um, apart from the weather, uh, what other things have kind of come to your mind or, or culturally speaking that has surprised you about Ireland and or Dublin? Um, you know, I think going back to the point that I mentioned earlier, it was actually very much eye-opening to find that Ireland and Lebanon share a lot of um, history, especially when it comes to struggle, you know. Irish people have seen a lot of uh, wars, uh, conflict, a lot of changes demographically and even culturally. They've had a lot of changes even in religion going mm. back, you know, uh, a couple of hundred years. Um, and it was actually very much interesting to know how much Ireland has impact on the rest of the world. I learned at the epic Irish museum that a lot of the uh, American celebrities and a handful of uh, American um, presidents mm. have actually Irish uh, roots yeah. that date back to Ireland. So it's actually very much, you know, uh, when I see this from a Lebanese point of view, we tend to be proud <laughs> mm. of like, hey, this person is of a Lebanese descent. Yeah. We are everywhere. We are, you know, we have so much reach. We have achieved a lot. So... I think this is uh, what really had a um, an imprint in my brain. Like, oh, even the Irish have have pretty much a very um, similar history to Lebanon, yeah. and because of their struggles, they had to reach out and stretch themselves and like you know do something 
big outside of their home. Mm. Which is, I think to me, it's, it's, it's pretty challenging for you to make an impact outside of home. It is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I can't really speak to that. Um, I have lived abroad, but I don't think I made too much of an impact. <laughs> um, We're hoping, everyone. <laughs> but yeah, I am. I guess, I mean, these people are second, third generation, the people that you speak of, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many people left, and I'm sure there are plenty. Um, but, you know, it's speaking in terms of presidents and and things like that, yeah, those those guys were second, third generation um, Irish. We even had Barack Obama, who we claim is, is a little bit Irish as yeah. well. Um, even John Kennedy. Uh, well, John Kennedy yeah. is the the big one. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, Pretty interesting. But there's also Ronald Reagan. I mean, we claim we also kind of side to the to the better ones, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and maybe if if people yeah. kind of make a bad uh, <laughs> example of themselves, we tend to ignore those people right you know yourself focus on the people who actually made the positive impact yeah um i do think as a a small country ireland has had a big impact uh, on the world whether even if it's in terms of literature or art and not so much anymore but well no that's not true actually um we had there maybe there was a, a golden age of irish literature and stuff like that with james joyce and jonathan swift yeah. oscar wilde all these people um and perhaps that will come back around. And I'm sure there's plenty of people listening now. It's like, well, it's actually this person and that person. And, yeah. and I'm not saying that like, but there's Bono. Yeah. Well, there's Bono, of course. <laughs> you know what? Fair play to him. Bono's great. He gets a lot of criticism. Yeah. I've always uh, admired him. He obviously has a massive ego and sometimes comes off in, 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 in a bad way, but he's done so much good. Yeah. Like, uh, you just really can't argue with that. You know, he might be a bit of a douchebag at times, but <laughs> my God, the guy was, first of all, an amazing frontman of that band. Yeah. Amazing. Um, such an entertainer, like incredible entertainer. Not a bad singer. Pretty in his day, he was a brilliant singer. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I think he's probably lost his voice a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I think all of the charity work and stuff that he does is an incredible life. I'm reading a book about him at the moment. Okay. And just uh, really how he got to know the people that he he met over the years. And I'm just at a part of the book where, you know, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev was just knocking into his house here in in South Dublin and just to say hello, you know. It's just like a real unusual person who has these type of connections especially an Irish person to be perfect especially a, a rock and roll musician yeah, exactly. forget exactly. about Irish person so it's just like why why is the rock and roll star talking to Mikhail Gorbachev <laughs> and like US presidents and stuff like that why do they listen to him yeah you know um, it's interesting he obviously he's, he's a yeah. special person um, and I, I imagine there will be plenty of people if you have such a large diaspora as you said of Lebanese people around the world ultimately that will happen too um, why are so many of them in Brazil what happened there that's a random one I'm not really sure but I think um, even before the civil war there was a lot of um, influx of Lebanese people to Latin America in general mm. so South America not just Brazil has a lot of influence from Lebanese. Funny enough, I was in a discussion with a friend of mine 
She's from the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. It's a country, I think, in, on the eastern side, uh, on the eastern side of the South American uh, subcontinent. Anyway, um, their president actually uh, is Lebanese. I mean, obviously, he's not purely Lebanese. His father, or his maybe his grandfather, went um, there, but it's interesting to actually see how much influence you know people who have migrated you know they got on a ship not knowing where the hell god will take them in mm. the coming couple of weeks they might even die on on the road mm, yeah. and a generation later they are presidents they are you know yeah um, executives in um, in leading companies across mm. the world so um yeah i mean again i'm not sure why it was specifically south america it's something that's you know i'd like to know more of but it's actually very much prominent now um, to see a lot of uh, people of uh, Lebanese descent in that area. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, if you were to prepare a meal for, if I was, you know, if I was in your house and you were preparing a meal for me, right? Uh, I don't say that. You would come for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what would it be? I've I've been to a few Lebanese restaurants. Um, it's obviously when. More so in Spain, I think. There's not that many here, as far yeah. as I'm aware. But in, in yeah. Spain, where I was, there was quite a few. Um, it mm. seems like it had uh, infiltrated mm, Spanish culture a little bit more than it has here. So I've been there. Um, I'm going to be totally honest. I loved the food when I was there. Yeah. But I don't have any education on it. So okay. when I'm looking at the menu, I'm like, what? And I just always ask for recommendations because I'm yeah. like... Apart from maybe some hummus and stuff like that, yeah. I'm like I don't know what any of this is. Yeah. Um, what would you have and an, at home, or is it the type of thing where? Yeah, that's a that's a hard one. Uh, you know, just you would have so many dishes. Yeah. Because we are known with that. We're, uh, with, with a lot of uh, diversified dishes. You know, just quickly some context for anyone who doesn't know. Um, the Lebanese cuisine is, you know, very much diverse in a sense that Sundays are kind of, you know, you can't touch Sundays with the family. It's like, you know, blessed. No one does anything on Sundays except, you know, having this, I don't know, couple of meters table that has a lot of meza. Meza, it's like the tapas in, uh, in Spanish. Mm. It's actually starters of the Lebanese um, cuisine it's a mix of a million things it's a lot of uh, it's it's actually very much heavy into vegetarian stuff as well it's a mix mm. of hummus baba ghanouj yeah the secret of our recipes is uh, yeah. the onions and the garlic yeah. before doing anything put yeah. it with mm. oil and just Love do it. anything if you would come with it to our place, of mm -hmm. course with Monica, mm -hmm. you would be you would be eating some mujaddara, which is lentil and uh, rice. Mm -hmm. And so you start with the onions and put it inside. You would be eating uh, tabbouleh, which is super known in Lebanon, which is uh, parsley and uh, tomatoes and onions. It's the salad that I am personally mm -hmm. so much biased to. I think it's 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 also quite popular in in other parts of the world, but. To me, I can I can actually live on tabbouleh. Uh, tabbouleh is basically a salad that has a lot of chopped parsley, onions, bulgur wheat. Is it? Bulgur, uh -huh. bulgur. Yeah, bur bulgur wheat. 
um, tomatoes, you know. So it's a it's a mix of a lot of um, greens. Wow. Um, very healthy. Yeah, it is. It is, it is actually healthy. very much healthy. There's mm. not a lot of uh, fried food, let's say, mm. and uh, big variety with a lot of uh, spices and. Uh, you can see a lot of uh, barbecue. So we barbecue. A lot, but I think it's um, it's very much different than the than, than the way that let's say the Americans grill. You know, it's Americans, like kebab, uh, yeah, Americans are so much into like grilling steaks and you know uh, fillets of uh, fish or chicken. Lebanese people grill a lot of uh, you know these kebabs on this uh, skewer, the um, the metal skewer that mm -hmm. yeah you know you put um, the cubes of meat in. Um, Sundays in Lebanon are for the meza, which has at least 20 different uh, small dishes for sharing. And then um, um, skewers of uh, meat, of chicken, uh, kebab that, that we call kafta back in Lebanon. And a very uh, nice dr um, alcoholic drink called ara. I know it's, it's very hard for Western people to pronounce, yeah. but it's written as a R A K. It's written as Arak. Arak. Yeah, oh, but it's pronounced as Ara. <laughs> it's actually almost pure um, alcohol. It's fermented grapes. And this is like where you tell me. And Mark, I have some for you right now. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I have to drive home. So uh, yeah, you would. It's, it's pretty uh, strong. Uh -huh. It's so strong, but what's nice about it is that, that you can dilute it as much as you want. So you no have one, to dilute it with water. Yeah, no one drinks it, you know, neat. So it's it's a bit similar like similar like the uzu or the Turkish yenireke. So it's like a transparent liquid that's very strong, probably 60-70% alcohol content. And then you mix it with, so it's one part ara usually and two parts water. Mm -hmm. And when you add some water, it, it turns milky white. Yeah. What's nice about it is that you can dilute it to your liking. Some people like it half-half, some people like it one-third, and then two-thirds of water. And then it's just, you know, stories. But, uh, let there. us know which one is your favorite dish so we can prepare it for you and Monica. Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't know. This is it. You'd have to, you'd have to prepare it. We'll have to set the menu and yeah. you come you'd and have to uh, I'll tell you what. Experiment. I'll tell you the second time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Good one. Um, I have seen a, a documentary with, I don't know if you've ever seen the travel documentary that Anthony Bourdain does. He he went to Lebanon, I think, once. And I remember mm. him having this drink and he was like, this is the world's greatest drink. Oh, OK. Um, and I, I just remember it, it looked like milk. Yeah. And it had, I think he had ice in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this, when you like mix them together, water and this arak, it will be uh, milky white, uh, like uh, the color white. I've never had it, but he was saying it was it was beautiful. So I, I'd I'd love to love to give it a go. Um, to be plastered on. Yeah, yeah, plastered <laughs> on <laughs> Arak. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excuse my pronunciation. It's <laughs> uh, quite a, challenging to say anyway. Is it? Um, I I don't sometimes. I get annoyed by these. I remember I was in the states before. And got to know some people there, and they'd ask me questions uh, like, "Is it safe to go to Ireland?" And I was like, "Of course it is. Don't worry, like, be silly." But I, I feel like maybe I'm, I'm gonna ask like an equally stupid question now. If I wanted to go to Lebanon on a holiday, is it is it perfectly okay for me to be going there? Yes, but I re I would recommend to know someone from Lebanon oh, so he can guide you. Yeah. 
it would be, uh, yes, like you said, game-changing. But as safe, you would know where it's safe and where it's not. That so, first of all, it's a completely non-stupid question because I think in it's greatly dependent on what you see in the media, right? And overall, the Middle East in the media looks unsafe to a lot of Western yeah. people, yeah. right? So, yeah. it's actually very much fair for anyone to ask this question. I've been asked this question hundreds of times. Like, you know... We, I, a friend of mine says, I would love to go party in that club. I saw this, these pictures. It's crazy. It's amazing. You guys Take party till 10 a.m. in the morning. But is it safe? And it's always the same question. So there was always conflict in Lebanon, you know. And there are some parts of Lebanon which are not tourist, tu- touristic, I would say, at all. That might not be essentially, uh, you know, safe to visit even for us yeah, yeah. exactly actually even even for us uh, wow. i mean i would there is a lot uh, a lot of areas in lebanon and knowing that lebanon for, is actually sorry, also for the news uh, in ireland yeah. uh, the only thing maybe that they used to talk about in lebanon is when uh, the irish uh, army uh, or the irish peacemaker they would yeah. uh, go to the southern border uh, yes to the border uh, for peacemaking yeah. so yeah this is the only image that you have. So uh, when you talk about peace, yeah. it means that there's a Confl- there's a war, there's, there's conflict, a conf- yeah. Conf- uh, conflict. Yeah. So yeah, and and actually I understand from where it's coming. Like yeah, good point. And I guess probably to to pay respect to the people who asked me that when I was in the states, they probably had the exact same news in, about Ireland in their media. Oh. You know, because okay. they had would have had years of watching and learning about the troubles in Ireland yeah. and stuff like that. So maybe yeah. they were like, oh, is it still the same? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're probably 100% right in, in the way that you say that. Um, but, yeah, I ju- it sounds, first of all, like, from I'm interested in history. So that part of the world in general, even like places like Turkey and Istanbul, and that, as I said to you earlier on, of the, the coming together of East and West, basically. So that is hugely interesting to me. Um, I'm also interested in in the history of of religion and how religion came to be as well. So that would also be brilliant. Then then you're like adding on top of that that is great nightlife and amazing food, nice weather, and I'm just kind of like I want to go. <laughs> yeah, amazing gr- nightlife, really mm. amazing sceneries, amazing uh, areas, regions. It's super super nice. It's mm. such a great country, especially mm. for what I say for artists to get creative and to get more productive, they need Lebanon for for their success and for their creativity. Mm. And uh, it's super essential. Mm. This is what, uh, that's my uh, I think that uh, this country, as small as it is, and, you know, as quote-unquote insignificant it can be to the global scale, it has seen a lot of um, history, a lot of culture, a lot of troubles, and a lot of emergence, I would say, um, after all of these troubles that can make it interesting in a sense to a lot of people um, to actually study it. Um, I think Lebanon by itself is like a case study of how the hell is this country still on its feet? Mm-hmm. And it has taken so much hits to the mm. chest, to, to, you know, to the head, and <laughs> like mm. these strikes, and it's still standing tall. We have lost, you know, a very big part of our economy um, as I was telling you we've seen a lot of troubles and yet 
for someone like me to say all of that, I have this such a strong love and hate relationship with my country, but I can't let go of it. You know, it's like a, it's like a blessed curse that we have. Um, and I'm actually, you know, thankful and happy that I have um, such a, you know, sometimes it's hurtful to have it, but at the same time, it's actually very much enriching to put things into perspective and see, you know, what a country can be uh, after all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Excuse my French, you know, shit it has seen. Yeah. Um, um, uh, in the past couple of um, decades or yeah. years. That and I think the really more well you're going to meet maybe Lebanese people, the more you would understand, especially if you go to this uh, to this country. Like, we've been everywhere. Uh, we have a lot of Lebanese people also in uh, the UK. We had mm-hmm. some friends, uh, English uh, friends that used to come every summer. They wouldn't miss a summer in Lebanon. Wow. They, and you're talking about London, which is also like a big city for like nightlife. Uh, they would never miss a summer in uh, Lebanon. They, yeah. they fell in love with it. They were super surprised yeah. about what is this? Our selling story, and it's quite cliche to us now, but I think it's also appealing to, to, to anyone who doesn't know this country is that you can, you can ski in the day in the morning, you know, and then have lunch one hour later, having the best seafood on the beach. <laughs> to us, it's it's pretty much cliche, and it's funny that that we say it because we have said it and we have consumed this phrase so much growing up. Most but it's much. actually so true. We have amazing ski slopes yeah. in January, yeah. and we have the best nightlife in July over on on the beach. And even in the same day, no matter which weather, you know. You see, you can be up in the mountains at 2,000 meters above sea level and an hour or maximum two later, you can be at sea level having Arab, having a dip and having, you know, uh, fish, fish. Good fish. <laughs> Mediterranean good fish. Wow. It sounds like the dream, guys. I'm not going to lie. Uh, other than the fact that I've only ever been skiing for not even a day, half a day. Um, <laughs> okay. And I thought, because um, I have this, I have a strange uh, men- mentality where I, I should be the other way around. I should think that I'm going to be bad at things and then and then get better at them. But normally what happens is I think I'm going to be very good at something and then I realize I'm terrible. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, fuck this. Um, I know I didn't say that, but I didn't have much time. But I went up onto the ski slopes without any lessons or anything like that. And I was like, this, you know, this, how hard can this be? Um, yeah. And then like just fell on my ass straight away. <laughs> and, uh, that was fine. It was. It's actually the getting back up. <laughs> That's the problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Falling is easy. Falling. Yeah. Exactly. The falling is so easy. Yeah. I. I remember. Yeah. Wow. So frustrating. Anyway. No, no, I, that's a story for another day. Yeah. Uh, but I can imagine. I. Um. Do you guys know how long you're gonna be in in Ireland for, or is it undetermined amount of time? Um. Or do you know that you're gonna be out of here in six months? Or what's the situation? I think every time a Lebanese person um, makes a move outside, outside of a country, it's more or less of an un, undetermined, um, like there's an un, undetermined time frame to that, unless they're on a fixed term contract and that's something else. But yeah. I mean, for anyone who has um, an open contract in general, going back to Lebanon to live there is in a way not an option um, to us mm. home is so much nice uh, when you go for like two weeks, see your family, 
have a vacation, enjoy the slopes or the fish and, and the Arab on the sea and then going back out. So I think to us in in, in particular, it's going to be for the foreseeable future. Okay, good to know. For me, um, <laughs> I know that you guys would love to be back home and um, it's unfortunate that it can't be that way, but let's, who knows what the future will hold. Yeah. Um, but it would be nice to get you guys back on in, in a few months to kind of hear a little bit of a part two on, on how you're adapting post-Irish uh, winter. Yeah. Um, yeah and how the, how the frame of mind is and the perspective on things is. Um, and yeah, to just get a kind of a deeper understanding of, of how you're finding life here. Because um, I feel like I feel like we didn't talk really much about Ireland, but that was my own selfishness because I wanted to know more yeah. about Lebanon. Um, and maybe, you know, we, we all kind of know, I guess, the story of, 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 of what it's like from the other conversations on this podcast about what yes. it's like for, for people moving here and stuff. But it would be cool to hear how you're getting on in, in a few months' time um, if we can check back in then. But of hopefully course. we're going to have um, some... See, I feel like I should offer something, but in terms of Irish culture, I don't know what else I can bring other than a bit of crack. And uh, I mean, and, uh, I don't mean, you know. It would it would oh. actually be very much interesting to look back at it and say, you know, the first six months were nothing like, you know, these past six months. So, you know, hopefully the weather is going to be way much different, way much fun, way much nicer. And uh, we'd have something uh, fun and maybe lighter to talk about. I'm actually yeah. like your aunt. Like I yeah. can connect with her uh, the way you see things. Like mm. I can see beauty in anything if it's in winter and summer. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I'm uh, usually optimistic and I see things differently. And like even if I'm walking in the streets, like there's one time where it was raining, like raining a lot, and Fuad was very pissed. He said, "Like, come on, I cannot take this rain anymore." Yeah. Then I told them, look, you, you cannot see it that way. People like some people are dying because they are dehydrated and cannot yeah. even drink water. So just pull your tongue out and enjoy the mm-hmm. drop of rains in your on your tongue. And mm. just that's it. And you'll see it differently. And this is what we did. We started walking, pulling our tongues out. Just Absolutely. To drink I think, the water. Yeah, this is very... uh, like changed the whole uh, perspective, perspective of it. Yeah. Well, that's very good. You have to have a strong mentality for that. Of course. Um, <laughs> I, I, always, <laughs> I always remember coming back from having lived in Spain. And I remember being, I was cycling into town and um, into work. And, you know, early in the morning, it was cold. And I was looking around at people's faces and I remember there was a guy on a bike, you know, an Irish guy or whatever, cycling into work. And the wind and the rain was beating into his face and this look of pure aggression on his face. It's like, ah, I have to get to work. <laughs> and it, that's the mentality. It's like, this has, you can't, you can't like relax. It's like, yeah. fight hustle, through hustle, it. Hustle, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, that that will change. Yeah. Trust me, over the next little bit. But it's it's funny. Like it's amazing that you have that mentality. Yeah. Um. You should. You you said that you did some kind of it was time for self work and all that and all man. Well, maybe actually Ireland is the real opportunity yeah. to yeah, to put that into practice. Oh <laughs> man was the theory. Now you have yeah, the practical. Um, guys, thank you so much. Thank really appreciate so much, it. Also. Thank you for having us. Mm. Yeah, for anybody who's listening, um, thanks for for tuning in, and yeah, talk to you soon. Thank you. Cheers. Well, well done. Uh,
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.